0: The vicious reality of aerial bombing is lost to most people in the United States, a military action devoid of human feeling, a news event, a statistic, a fact taken in and quickly forgotten. Indeed, that's how it is for those who drop bombs, observing flashes of light below as the bombs hit, but seeing no human beings, hearing no screams, seeing no blood, totally unaware that down below there might be children dying, rendered blind, with arms or legs severed. We are willing to justify the killing of a suspect in Iraq, something we would not accept from police in New York City or San Francisco. This suggests, to our shame, that the lives of people other than Americans are of lesser importance. Bombardiers of today are in the same position of those in World War II, following orders without question, oblivious of the human consequences of the bombing. When private bands of fanatics commit atrocities, we call them terrorists. But when governments do the same, and on a much larger scale, the word terrorism is not used, and we consider it a sign of our democracy that the act becomes subject to debate. If the word terrorism has any meaning, then it applies exactly to the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Are not all atrocities committed by fundamentally decent people who have been maneuvered into situations that derange the sense of morality common to all? It is precisely the situation where the enemy is undoubtedly evil that produces a righteousness dangerous not only to the enemy. But to ourselves, to countless innocent bystanders, and to future generations." The pronoun we is the first deception, because it merges the individual consciousness of the citizenry with the motives of the state. Indeed, it is the government that has proclaimed the moral issues in order to better mobilize the population for war, and encouraged us to assume that we, government and citizens, have the same objectives. It may be useful to remind ourselves that we are responsible for what the government does. Howard Zinn, Bombardier in World War II. Elizabeth Warren has introduced the Defense Climate Resiliency and Readiness Act to harden the U.S. military against the threat posed by climate change. This title was her second draft after advisors talked her out of calling it the Green New Drone Strike. (laughs) Under this new plan, the U.S. military will only conduct devastating airstrikes against wind farms, electric car plants, and civilian vegan weddings. Joe Biden has unveiled his 2020 campaign slogan, not you, not me, but we. That's right, but we, making another huge splash after first appearing in the calendar of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. (laughs) Urban Dictionary defines but we as the liquid that comes flooding out of one's rectum after boofing a beer, usually out of a beer bong. (laughs) Nevada is poised to become the 15th state to all but do away with the electoral college in an ill-guided attempt to crack down on the student loan debt crisis. (laughs) Missouri has joined many other states in passing a ban on abortion after eight weeks. Governor Mike Parsons says he wants to make Missouri, quote, the most pro-life state in the country, except for in the cases of being black and in the presence of a police officer. The Ku Klux Klan held a rally in Dayton, Ohio on Memorial Day weekend, marking the most progressive event to happen in Ohio's 10th district in well over a decade. (laughs) Reportedly, nine Klan members showed up for the rally, making it more of a book club where books are absolutely not allowed. (laughs) The USPS is testing self-driving trucks, sentient robot trucks controlled by the government That sounds like the opening scene of a Michael Bay movie. (laughs) That's right, we're nearing a future where all Amazon Prime packages will be delivered by Optimus Prime. Director of Housing and Urban Development Ben Carson is under fire this week after publicly misunderstanding the acronym for Real Estate Organization, or REO, as a popular sandwich cookie brand. Ben Carson is living, allegedly breathing proof that being a brain surgeon ain't fucking rocket science. This is Just Calm Down with John Schreck. This is episode 10 of Just Calm Down. How we doing? Uh, A lot to get into this week. I'm going to talk about Ohio's gerrymandered congressional map and how the Republicans are trying to uh, bullshit their way out of redrawing the district's Uh, We're going to hear Bernie Sanders talk about the Iraq War back in 1991 and how it sounds exactly like Bernie Sanders in 2019. Elizabeth Warren went to West Virginia and she talked to some Trump voters. And you're going to be surprised at how they responded to Elizabeth Warren's progressive platform. Or maybe you won't be. We're going to talk about how AOC and Bernie are getting together and taking on credit card companies and how conservatives and liberals both are on board with that policy idea and how perhaps AOC and Bernie are more to the center than the media may lead you to believe. We're going to talk about how Bernie is utilizing it. We're talking a lot about Bernie this week. Is that a surprise? Is anybody surprised? I mean, Jesus Christ, this is the goddamn Burn Burncast 2.0, the unofficial podcast of the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um he's he's using his resources to help uh get people out to strikes, get people out on the picket line and uh it's pretty unprecedented and it's awesome. Um we got a lot more than that, but uh you know, today is Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. If you uh I don't fucking know. It's Memorial Day. I'm not working. I'm working on my podcast. Thank you uh John Bunyan for shaming me last week and saying that uh, He's waiting for the new episode uh, and then I'm radicalizing him, <laughs> which I thought was uh, funny and awesome. I, I don't know if that's true, John, but uh, thank you for listening and uh, thank you for uh, for shaming me into getting back at it because it's easy for me to fall off the wagon. Uh, like I've said many times, I have a serious issue with uh, maintaining motivation uh, with anything regardless of how much joy it gives me. Um, just want to say on Memorial Day to take a moment to honor the memory of the tens of millions of innocent men, women, and children, just like you and me, who have been murdered, gravely injured, and permanently displaced for having the gall to exist in a country that is on the hit list of the great military empire. Uh, this great nation's top export is suffering, death, and destruction abroad at the behest of the military-industrial complex and the fossil fuel industry. And we get one Monday a year off. In celebration, long live the Empire. Both my grandfathers were in the military. I've got I've got close friends who were in the military. One of the people that I support for president the most, Tulsi Gabbard, in the military. So um don't think that my position is, is anti-troop. I, I respect anybody that puts life and limb on the line for the uh the alleged purpose of defending our freedom. I heard someone on NPR earlier today saying that. That's what the military does. they they fight for your freedom and uh, you know once upon a time perhaps that was true, but there has not been a time where we were existentially threatened by an outside force uh, you know for decades, perhaps directly after the attacks on 9/11 uh, attacks that were perpetuated by our meddling abroad. So the point I'm the point I'm trying to make is that there are insanely wealthy, people who have propagandized us for decades, for my entire life. They make you stand for the anthem before every single sporting event and have uh, a government-sponsored military celebration to remind you that if you step out of line, you're actually a piece of shit. And that's something we've seen, you know, um, playing out in terms of Colin Kaepernick and the NFL and and other similar instances, and um, to be against war, to be against the military-industrial complex, is perhaps the most patriotic shit that you can be. To mindlessly believe that you have to stand for the flag and that you have to support support the efforts that are being perpetuated by our military, that's propaganda. There is nothing more pro-American, pro-troop than to end the illegal regime change wars that we've embedded ourselves in decade after decade. We've been at war since the day I was born, and not once other than in 2001 were we under threat of being invaded or attacked. The only thing that was being threatened were the resources that the fossil fuel industry we're interested in, perhaps the ego of the Bush family, of Dick Cheney. A lot of lives, American and otherwise, have been destroyed, have been lost, because wealthy capitalists can't be fucking satisfied, and they will send our children off to die for their benefit. And they will propagandize us into staying in line, into not talking out against those military actions and make you think that it's anti-american that it's anti-troop to be against the war i get way more into uh specific things about that later on in the episode but i just wanted to say because you know it's memorial day everyone's got their flags out everyone's celebrating and um yes celebrate those that you love who uh, were in the military um memorialize them, um, memorialize the humans affected by war. Because the people who perpetuate war are not the people who fight in those wars. And the fact that we've, you know, we lost people that I went to school with in Iraq in 2012. That is unreconcilable. The fact that people are dying in a war that was illegal over 10 years prior to that. And we call that fighting for our freedom. It's unfortunate, but people who died in Iraq did not die for your freedom. They died because Dick Cheney can't be fucking satisfied with the amount of money he's made so far. Let's get into the show. Ohio is gerrymandered to shit. For example, I don't know if I've said this in a previous episode, but I live about six miles from downtown Cincinnati. Maybe seven. Depends on what direction you go, really. I could live a thousand miles from downtown Cincinnati if I go the wrong way. But uh, I do not get to vote for the representative uh, that uh, represents Cincinnati. Meanwhile, people who live way out in Warren County... Up to 30, 40, 50, maybe more miles away from Cincinnati. Vote in District One, which is the district that uh Cincinnati is in. So it's uh it's super carved up. Uh, so I'm represented by someone who does not represent Cincinnati. People out in Warren County vote for someone who represents downtown Cincinnati and also the farmlands halfway to Columbus. Um, and that's just one example in this state. There's a there's a if you look at the map, there's just some insane like. Oh, man. District seven is crazy. It's like far. That's even it's even more egregious. I think District seven reaches into parts of Cleveland and then gets almost almost to Columbus. So it pulls out like a a small sliver of uh, or maybe a decent amount of liberal voters in like the Cleveland or Cleveland adjacent areas and then piles that in with a bunch of rural voters throughout like, you know, central northern central ohio so it's super gerrymandered back in 2008 steve chabot the representative of uh of ohio's first district he uh he lost his seat in the uh the election that obama won he lost to uh forget denise driehaus or something uh so he was out of his seat for two maybe four years i don't remember exactly but they redrew the maps in 2011 and bam steve chabot Got his seat back. <laughs> How convenient. So, anyways, at the beginning of this month, uh, so the ACLU, among uh, a few other organizations, I think the League of Women Voters, they uh, they took it to court. They said they said we're going to contest this. We're going to get Ohio fixed. And earlier this month, here we go from uh, from the Cleveland Plain Dealer, cleveland.com. Here's the headline: Federal judges deny Ohio's attempt to delay redrawing of state's gerrymandered congressional elections map. I forgot this. This is like a follow up to. So so federal judges said you have to redraw your map. Not only do you have to redraw your map, you have to do it in time for the 2020 election. Not only that, you need to provide us with a map or like an outline or something by June 14th. And the Republicans are not too happy about that. So let's read. Let's read into this. Cleveland, Ohio, a three judge panel on Thursday said it would not place a hold on an order that required Ohio to redraw its congressional district map within a matter of weeks the panel wrote that quote no new arguments persuade the court that a stay is now warranted which basically means the republicans complained and the court said uh shut the fuck up provide a reason why you can't do this or you have to do this republican ohio attorney general dave yost is appealing the case to the u.s supreme court and said he will now ask the high court to stay the panel's order that's a That's a complicated sentence. I, I, I talk shit about all these people who write bad. Maybe I just maybe I just read bad. It's a clunky sentence. We can agree. We can agree with that. It came out of my mouth clunky, so it must be the author's fault. The three-judge panel unanimously ruled Friday that Ohio's gerrymandered congressional district map is unconstitutional. And this was like two or three weeks ago. The judges found that the map, quote, dilutes the votes of Democratic voters by packing and cracking them into districts that are so skewed toward one party that the electoral outcome is predetermined. An independent federal uh, panel of judges decided that. And it really is amazing how frequently Republicans are out there bitching and moaning about rigging elections, and uh, fake people voting and all this shit that doesn't actually happen. Meanwhile, they find every loophole in the book to try and fuck people out of their votes and to sway v- uh, elections in their direction. Because in 20, uh, in 2018 even, I think I think the total votes was pretty close to 50-50 in terms of Republican versus Democrat statewide. The elections more or less went 50-50, I think. But the outcome of the election was still heavily skewed toward, uh, toward Republicans, despite it being being pretty close to a 50-50 split. I think the Republicans did still get like it was like 52-48 or whatever, um but they still won the majority of the seats. So anyways, uh this th- it's it's clear it's clearly something that they did so that they would be able to win elections in places where they can't win elections because believe it or not, being a backwards ass, closed-minded, anti-abortion, anti-human rights, turns out that shit's not popular anymore. Even though I just said that Republicans got more votes, whatever. <laughs> The, the pro- well, uh, we can get into that, but the problem is that the Democrats don't provide enough resistance. They don't, they don't provide an alternative to the Republican Party. The judges ordered Ohio to draw and implement a new map by June 14th. The panel's order denying a state chided the state for attempting to relitigate the case quote, "and avoid the court's finding and conclusion that the current map is unconstitutional and has thus harmed voters. It went on to say that it was important to move forward with the process quote so that the voters in Ohio can avoid another election with unconstitutionally drawn districts. So what they're saying there is that the that the Republicans pushing back against this are just being nitpicky crybabies and they just don't they don't want to redraw the districts." So they're trying to stall. So they're straight up calling him out, which I I respect the hell out of that. Judges are supposed to be impartial. So that that, does that, I mean, that that should tell you that uh, it is impartial to say that the Republican Party is full of shit and that they're cheaters. Yost, in a prepared statement Thursday afternoon, said he would appeal what he called the quote, invented legal standard in the trial court's decision and will ask the Supreme Court to stay the decision pending its ruling on similar cases already before it. The Attorney General on Monday filed notice of an appeal to the High Court. Which is currently weighing separate gerrymandering cases out of the north, out of North Carolina and Maryland. Yost argued that those cases, which could be decided with within weeks, could lead to a reversal of the Ohio decision. I guess that's a fair point, but um, oh man, that that makes me lose faith in fucking everything if the Supreme Court doesn't doesn't deem North Carolina and Maryland unconstitutionally gerrymandered because they so clearly are. The state made a similar argument earlier in unsuccessfully seeking a delay in trial, which took place in Cincinnati in March. Advocates who brought the suit, including the Ohio League of Women Voters, with representation by the ACLU, said in a court filing Wednesday night that, quote, this court already refused an invitation to participate in the folly of predicting what the Supreme Court might do. It should reject that same invitation again. Republican leaders, in creating the current map after the 2010 census, designed districts capable of withstanding swings in voter sentiment to reliably elect 12 Republicans and four Democrats statewide. The results have been exactly as planned in the four elections with the map, with Republicans winning 75% of the races with just over half of the overall vote. So, like I just mentioned. In addition to the pending U.S. Supreme Court cases from Maryland to North Carolina, a federal judge panel in Michigan recently ordered the redrawing of lines for several state houses and congressional districts there. Pennsylvania... Used a new congressional map last year under order by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to overturn that ruling. Okay, so they're not gonna overturn the, the whatever the ruling, they're not gonna fucking change the rule. Well, maybe they will. Brett Kavanaugh, right? The U.S. Supreme Court in 1986 ruled that partisan gerrymandering could violate the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution but left ambiguous the standard by which courts might rule on such claims. Well, isn't that good to know? So, there's more to this. That was that whole story. I read I read probably too much of it. But uh, So, that was a couple weeks ago. This was last week from the Columbus Dispatch. Ohio Republicans say guidance lacking on drawing new congressional maps. Oh, not enough guidance? You need guidance to do your fucking job, Republicans? Go fuck yourself. Re- Republican lawmakers and the state solicitors say a f- federal court hasn't given much guidance on how to draw a new constitutional congressional map. State solicitor Ben Flowers, the attorney general's top appellate lawyer, was asked to give the Senate Government Oversight Committee an update after a three-judge panel of... U- blah, blah, blah 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 The state has asked the U.S. Supreme Court for a stay of that ruling. Uh, Flowers said Thursday, the state is arguing that it doesn't make sense to set a June 4th, 14th deadline when it's expected the court will rule later in June on the gerrymandering cases out of North Carolina and Maryland that will have a direct impact on Ohio's case, I'm restating what I already said. So they're doing their due diligence in this article. Okay, they're restating what. They this is a quote. We're supposed to come up with a map in a few weeks that meets the satisfaction of the three-judge panel. What guidance did they provide the G- the general assembly as far as procedure to follow? Asked Senator Bill Coley, Republican out of Westchester, oh, hometown, the committee chairman. Uh, We're jumping back into the quote. I just didn't see a whole lot. They said a lot about what they didn't like. Yeah. Flowers agreed. This is a quote. I don't think they really provided any procedure. The most guidance they gave came from the tests. That, he said, includes whether there was partisan intent and partisan effect in the aftermath. State and national Republican officials drew a map in 2011 that secured a 12-4 GOP advantage. (laughs) So, oh, he, he, uh, oh my God. So he's saying, not, not, he's saying, oh, maybe there's not intent, even though the clear intent has been unfaltering since they redrew the maps they've consistently got 12 4 results for congress out of ohio since they redrew the maps coley and senator matt huffman republican out of lima also stressed that many legislative democrats voted for the final map in 2011 therein lies the issue with with the democrats that they, they voted they voted for this gerrymandered map not all of them but some of them the fact that any of them did is a fucking problem and just more indication that they do not provide adequate alternative or resistance to the conservatives. Flowers responded, quote, the order requires the General Assembly to go forward with this map drawing process without really any guidance as to what exactly will pass muster. Democrats have argued that they didn't support the map. Quote, my vote is being misrepresented, said Senator Teresa Federer, Democrat out of Toledo. She and other Democrats opposed the initial map, she said, but then voted for a revised one that was, quote, slightly less terrible. Again, therein lies the problem. Voting for anything that's slightly less terrible. Hold the goddamn line. The Republicans do. So I turned on NPR today, actually. I was driving and this came on.
1: The next presidential election is more than 500 days away, but battle lines are already being drawn and there's a disconnect between how the president and Democrats are framing the debate. Donald Trump wants the campaign to be about socialism. The Democrats want it to be about capitalism, as NPR's Mara Liason reports.
0: So I'm going to I'm going to play a good chunk of this story but uh my god w- what a lead in <laughs> because it is it is about this and i uh, i like the reporting that's done here uh, and it's it's very frustrating because the the fact that that's true is annoying because the republicans make every election about socialism versus true american values and until probably this election cycle it's not been accurate i mean they called they called they called Barack Obama a socialist. They called Hillary Clinton a socialist. They probably called John Kerry a socialist. I mean, these are people who are I mean, these are people who are who are right-wing. So the fact the fact that the Democratic Party is is not shifting left and it is in fact trying to say no, we're we're good capitalists tells me that that none of them is going to stand up to Wall Street, not even fucking Elizabeth Warren. I do I just don't believe it. I don't think she will because she says I'm a capitalist. And it's like you can be one without like seeming defensive about it because that's what the, that's what the that's what the media wants. That's what the corporate state wants. They want the democrats to be on their heels when you bring up socialism and even even Bernie is kind of on his heels when they bring it up. He says, ah, 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 Democratic socialism. Let's let's be clear. And it's like, no, let's not be clear. Who cares? Who cares what we call it? We want Medicare for all. We want college for all. We want to end the wars. It, it shouldn't matter what we call it. But anyways, socialism has never been more popular in the United States. So the fact that the... Quote unquote party of the people, the quote unquote left party um, wants to shy away from socialism, while a guy who's great at creating bogeymen wants to hammer down on it is is such a bad strategy because even if these people aren't socialists, which they clearly aren't, um, the fact that they they feel like they need to distance themselves so much from that word is disconcerting, and it tells me that they don't have what it takes. To beat trump in 2020 so let's listen to more of this story donald trump's message is pretty simple
2: the new democrat party believes in socialism
0: i wish
3: take a look at venezuela for all of trump's norm busting
0: (laughs) take a look at Venezuela. what about venezuela what are you talking about the democrats are beating the drums of war right alongside you such such a load of bullshit but that but that's the problem they're not smart enough to draw that line they say oh no we're not socialists we're not we're not venezuela we don't want to no 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 it's like yeah just say yes say you're a fucking socialist and then define what that means and show the american people what that means That it's not a fuck the red scare is so far behind us except you know russia <laughs> russia though i don't know
3: behavior on this one he's following right in the footsteps of generations of republican politicians
4: what trump is doing actually fits into a very long tradition in American conservatism of likening anything that happens to the left of where conservatism is in that moment as socialism.
3: That's Princeton university historian, Kevin Cruz.
0: Uh, And I I also, I want to say that that is the flaw in saying that, Oh, we need a, we need a moderate. We need a, we need a centrist to, 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 you know, to unite our country. Well, this has been a gradual slide to the right, for decades, since since I was born, since before I was born, there is no center. The center is far right at this point. So um, be unapologetic, because this milquetoast bullshit's not going to cut it.
4: Back over the history of 20th century politics, things like the polio vaccine, or the proposal to give it away for free, was denounced as socialism by the back door, the interstate highway system was denounced by the far right of socialism, the Civil Rights Act. Medicare, Medicaid, these are all denounced as socialism.
3: And Social Security, of course, was attacked as the ultimate socialist plot. That's been the frame every time there was a push to expand the social safety net, and this time is no different.
5: I see a debate about how to make capitalism work,
3: not a mass adoption of socialism. Neera Tandon is the president of the liberal think tank Center for American Progress.
0: <laughs> uh, nira fuck she uh I th- she makes good she makes some good points coming up uh not points that i agree with but i think uh points to what the overall consensus in the democratic party is where they want to save they want to save capitalism they don't want to Break the system that the majority of American people want broken. Well, it's our—it's already broken. We want to fix it. What Neera Tandon is going to tell you here is how the Democrats want to—how uh, they don't want to fix it. They—they they want to—they uh, want to put some fucking popsicle sticks in in uh, Elmer's glue and keep propping up this system that has failed. The working class.
5: We have inequality at levels we haven't seen in a hundred years, matched with wages that are coming up but have been stagnant for many, many years. And there's a part of capitalism that seems out of whack.
3: One of the leading Democratic candidates, Bernie Sanders, is advocating a classic socialist move—a government takeover of the private health insurance industry.
0: But the listen, listen to the way that they frame that. I. NPR's got some great production value. They've got some good shows. They've got some good shit. But just just listen to the slight little, just the little ways that they talk down to actual progressives. He stands for a government takeover of the healthcare system, which he does. But when you say it like he's the boogeyman, you clearly have some kind of agenda.
3: Other candidates say what they want is to regulate capitalism so that it generates broadly shared prosperity and economic mobility. And with the exception of Sanders, they all insist they are not Socialists,
0: which is a problem.
6: I believe in markets, markets that work, markets that have a cop on the beat and have real rules and everybody follows them.
0: I believe in democratic capitalism.
6: I'm a capitalist. Monopolies are not capitalism.
3: Democrat.
0: Uh, monopolies are the epitome of capitalism. <laughs> uh, also, that that was Elizabeth Warren, that was Pete Buttigieg, and that was. Cory Booker, uh, all of which will be called socialists, whether they're socialists or not. So take up the flag. You're not going to win over any of these people who are going to buy into the scare tactics of the right wing because they're going to they're going to buy into the socialist bogeyman anyway. So define what socialism means and run with it because they're going to use it against you, whether it's an accurate phrase to describe you or not. So just take it and run with it.
3: Let's have a long list of proposals, including antitrust enforcement. A public option added to Obamacare, a higher minimum wage, a two percent wealth tax on people worth over fifty million dollars, and plans to help middle-class families afford college, childcare, and retirement—the kind of restraints on free-market capitalism that America has been debating and sometimes enacting for a hundred years. As a matter of fact, says Republican strategist Bruce Melman, the corporate leaders he advises are talking about the same basic question: how to make capitalism work the way it's supposed to. I sp-
0: Corporations have no desire to make capitalism work the way it's supposed to. It's working exactly the way it's supposed to. Make a small handful of people insanely wealthy on the backs of the working class.
4: And a lot of time working with businesses and entrepreneurs and the long-term challenges for the most successful capitalists in the world are making sure the capitalist system remains effective, remains inclusive, and remains demonstrably better than alternatives.
0: I like how he's using the word remains there as if it's currently working for most people. It's working for the rich people. It's working for, uh, you know, venture capitalists and people on Wall Street and, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos. Bezos, people who profit off of the gig economy—it, it, it uh—you know—it, it, it remains successful in, in keeping them rich. Um, but believe it or not, the people who are being sucked dry every single fucking day, who work twelve plus hours a day and still can't make ends meet because they're helping keep these corporations afloat by doing their jobs for less than their worth because they're because they can get away with paying people less than they're worth. Um, that's that's how that's how capitalism remains successful
3: and says when he listens to the democrats
4: he hears this Bernie and aoc and some others aggressively suggesting that capitalism's time has ended but the bulk of the party and certainly the bulk of the voters are looking for ways to improve the system as was done in the gilded age as was done around the great depression to have a more inclusive growth
3: back in 2016 even donald trump sometimes sounded like he was talking about this like on the very first day of his campaign when he rode down the escalator at Trump Tower and said, Sadly, the American
0: dream is dead. What? <laughs> that might be the best Trump quote ever. The American dream is dead. Well, he's never been more right.
5: One of the great ironies of what's happened is that the national numbers in the economy were pretty positive in 2015 and 2016, and Canada, Trump... Really focused in on stagnant wages, particularly for people
3: who didn't have a college degree. Democrats like Tandon acknowledge that Trump painted a picture that resonated with some voters. American capitalism wasn't delivering the American dream for enough people. But then Democrats say Trump offered the wrong answer to the right question attacking immigrants, starting a trade war, and cutting taxes mostly for the wealthy. Democrats say they have better solutions to make sure the system provides more growth broadly shared.
5: The person who is a Democratic nominee is going to have to demonstrate that he or she will be good stewards of the economy and produce better results
3: for more people. And they'll have to defend their plans to save capitalism from itself while being attacked as Venezuelan style socialists. Mara Ly- Lai. <laughs>
0: So Nira actually brings up some fair points and she's right. Trump appealed to a working class voter who said the system fucked me over time and time again. Clinton reigned over uh, an administration that brought us NAFTA and we're going to get that again. So I'm going to vote for Trump. And there are certainly a lot of people who voted for him for that. An equal or greater amount voted for him because they're racist and they're afraid that, uh, you know, minorities are going to take over their town and the, you know, they want their country back. They've wanted their country back since Obama became president. And uh, he tapped into that, too. Um, the problem is he's delivering on the racist bullshit and the uh, the false populism he's not delivering on. And that's why we need Bernie goddamn Sanders, because he's a real populist and he's not racist. Um And, you know, you don't need those people's votes. The votes that you do need are the populists. You need the 50% of people who don't vote to come out and vote. And I would imagine that a good percentage of people who refuse to vote refuse to vote because they don't think politicians represent them because they think they're bought and paid for but uh you know bernie bernie stands bernie is an icon of destroying this system of well he seems to be that he's working from within the system which which is is infinitely frustrating but uh i don't know we'll see of of anybody of any career politician he's someone who 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 has not ever represented the status quo he has been fighting the same battles since he was the socialist Mayor of Burlington, Vermont. So I had no intention of, you know, there's there's 900 candidates running for the Democratic nomination. I'm I have no intention of talking about a lot of them. John Hickenlooper uh, being one of. Being one of the many that I have no had no desire to talk about until I just heard this uh, this piece from NPR just this morning. And the only thing I, I knew no really know about Hickenlooper aside from what exists in this seven minute clip of which I'm not gonna play the entirety of, is that initially people were supposing that he <laughs> he would run a uh, like a third party independent campaign alongside Republican Governor John Kasich uh so but he's not doing that he's uh, he's running for the democratic nomination so here we go
1: former Colorado governor John Hickenlooper sees a somewhat lonely path to the democratic nomination for president Hickenlooper is running as a pro business moderate he co-founded a brewery and eventually turned his business success into political success. He won the election to be mayor of Denver and then became a two-term governor of a purple state. Hickenlooper's belief in market-based solutions to problems puts him at odds with some other candidates in the primary.
2: I created a couple thousand jobs, but I was trying to say that capitalism today isn't working For a large number of Americans, 75 to 80% of American families have a hard time balancing their household budgets every month. And we used to have a system when I was a kid that people would be able to get security and opportunity. Now, I think people feel nothing but anxiety.
1: All right, let's talk about some specifics there. Would you support a federal minimum wage?
2: Yeah, I think we have to increase the minimum wage. I'd expand the earned income tax credit. But I think one of the things we have to really look at is why would there are each year fewer businesses being created? And that's where job creation really comes and where quality job creation comes from.
1: Governor, let me have you answer your own question. Why are fewer businesses being created?
2: We have a consolidation of just two or three companies dominate that industry, right? They're 84% of all the hardware sales are from two companies. So starting a neighborhood hardware company is Almost out of the question, people don't think they have a chance.
1: Has Chuck Schumer called you and urged you to run for Senate?
2: (laughs) I've talked to Chuck Schumer, who is one of the most persuasive people, and I have more admiration for how he does his job than words can express. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I think that part really speaks volumes to who this guy is. He says that not only is Chuck Schumer uh, influential and uh, very persuasive, the guy who can't get shit done in uh, in the Senate against Mitch McConnell, uh, but he also admires a lot of what he does. So this 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 guy's this guy's gonna win the uh, the nomination for president with with those kind of strong words, you know, because people love Chuck Schumer so much. The fact that he admires the way that he does his job, I mean, Jesus Christ, I can't I can think of few people more ineffectual as a leader than Chuck Schumer.
1: You're running as a centrist, even as much of the Democratic Party is moving to the left. How do you plan to sell your ideas to an increasingly progressive party? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I talked to obviously, I've been all over Iowa and New Hampshire, and most people really want to beat Trump. And I think if we don't stand up and say that we don't, you know, the Democrats don't stand for socialism, we're going to end up reelecting the worst president this country's ever had.
0: You know how we stood up and said that we're not for socialism in 2016 and got handed the worst president we've ever had. Insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and and expecting different results. John Hickenlooper is a centrist... To the, to the right of of the likes of Joe Biden and the likes of Hillary Clinton. So if he thinks that he is the solution to this Trump problem, which Trump's not the problem, he's the, the result of the problem, and now he is exacerbating said problems, uh, more, more milqueto-centrism status quo is going to send us over the edge. Uh, and John Hickenlooper, you're about to find out, does not stand for any of the main things that most people in America desperately need.
2: And I feel sometimes a lonely voice, but I think we've got to speak loud and clear that jobs matter, our economy has to grow, and certainly we want to address income inequality. Absolutely, we want to make sure that women have a right to choose, that civil rights and social justice are addressed aggressively. But we've also got to recognize to win in Ohio and and Michigan, North Carolina and Wisconsin, we're going to have to, you know, get more to those kitchen table issues that have to do with, you know, somebody's job and or how many jobs they're having to work just to balance their household budget.
0: Kitchen table issues include Medicare for all, affordable or free college, and the ability to have a guaranteed living wage. Those are kitchen table issues. And he's about to say that he thinks it's unrealistic to solve those issues. Um, and instead, I don't know, he's going he's gonna to impose some market plan to... Uh, to, you know, utilize the capitalist system to improve their lives, but not guarantee them health care, not guarantee them a living wage, not guarantee them an education. He wants to talk to the the kitchen table issues, you know, like whether or not you can afford a walnut versus oak kitchen tables, you know, like, uh, stuff that that the working class thinks about in Ohio, You you know, as dumb fucks in Ohio, we don't, we don't know what's good for us. We don't, we don't know that, uh, Healthcare as a human right is what we want we, we need to be talked down to and we need it to be Simplified for us as in your taxes are going to be lower You're going to get a better job, and that's that's all we want That's all we want from a candidate because we are dumb we ohio we fucking morons
1: And do you think your fellow candidates are not doing that?
2: Well, they're certainly doing it to a certain extent. I'm not diminishing climate change or as an important issue or healthcare, but I don't think we're going to address climate change by guaranteeing every American a federal job, which is what part of the Green New Deal was. I don't think we're going to address the spiraling inflation in healthcare by forcibly telling 150 million people that we're going to take away their private insurance.
0: And why not? Because that's a Republican right-wing talking point that your Democratic candidate is using right there, saying 150,000 people are going to get thrown off of their health insurance. Yeah, and they're going to be guaranteed better health insurance by society by the government that can't be taken away from you. You can't be denied care because they've decided that it's a surgery that you don't actually need, even though it's a life-saving surgery. Uh, So that's what he's not telling you there. He's saying, well, 150,000 people, I don't think we're going to solve healthcare by throwing people off their health insurance. People don't give a shit about their health insurance. The only people that give a shit about their health insurance are people who work for health insurance industries and feel the squeeze because they realize that their industry exists only to make them money and not to help people. And people have woken up to that. So the fact that somebody like John Hickenlooper thinks that he has a lane somewhere in the Democratic Party speaks volumes to what the Democratic Party truly is. Because this guy's not this guy not left wing. This guy's, guy's right wing with slight some some slightly social justice uh, I- issues in mind. He's a he's a woke right winger. <laughs> Let's just say that. He's against healthcare but he somehow wants to tackle income inequality. One of the top ways you can tackle income inequality is make it so that it is not impossible for poor people, for middle class people to seek the care that they need. I make a decent living and I'm not going to go to the fucking doctor because I can't afford it. These are what a lot of
2: Americans look at as facets or aspects of socialism. And I think we've got to be more focused and deliberate of saying repeatedly again and again that we want to get to
0: address climate change, but we want to do it in a way that works.
1: Governor, you are a
0: sick- So he's saying we got to move away from that socialism tag. They're gonna use it anyways, dipshit. They're gonna call you a socialist, whether you are or not. So take up the cause or get the fuck out of the way.
2: One of the things I've always loved about the Democratic Party is that it is a big tent party and it embraces opportunity for all people. And I'm running for president because I think my life experience can address this Trump-fueled national crisis of division that has been moving us backward. And I look at my experience of bringing people together, businesses and nonprofits and and Republicans and Democrats, and to really get things done, to get to near universal health care, create the number one economy in the country for three consecutive years. I think that record stands for itself.
0: Get to near universal health care. What an inspiring message. We'll get to near universal health care. Some of you still aren't going to have it because we don't live in a just society, of course. And why should we aspire for that? I'm running for president, not for... Pre- uh, fuck. John Hickenlooper, 2020. So we're about to go to war with Iran. Fuck. Um, but here's a, here's a clip from Bernie, I think from the early 90s. I'm just going to hit play, and uh, here we go.
4: 1991. Mr. Speaker, we should make no mistake about it. Today is a tragic day for humanity, for the people of Iraq, for the people of the United States and for the United Nations as an institution. It is also a tragic day for the future of our planet and for the children, 30,000 of whom in the third world will starve to death today while we spend billions to wage this war and 25% of whom live in poverty in our own country because we apparently lack the funds to provide them a minimal standard of living. Mr. Speaker, there are three immediate concerns that I have regarding the current tragedy. First, despite the fact that we are now allied with such Middle Eastern governments as Syria, a terrorist dictatorship, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, feudalistic dictatorships, and Egypt, a one-party state which receives $7 billion in debt forgiveness To wage this war with us, I believe that in the long run, the action unleashed last night will go strongly against our interests in the Middle East. Clearly, the United States and its allies will win this war, but the death and destruction caused will not, in my opinion. They just cut
0: to the house floor and it's empty. He's talking to an empty room.
4: Soon be forgotten by the third world in general and by the poor people of the Middle East in particular. I fear very much that what we said yesterday is that war and the enormous destructive power of our armed forces is our preferred manner for dealing with the very complicated and terrible crises in the Middle East. I fear that someday we will regret that decision and that we are in fact laying the groundwork for more and more wars in that region in years to come. Secondly, Mr. Speaker. While there is no question in my mind that the United States government and its allies will win this war, I am not at all sure that the people of our country, especially the working people, the poor people, and the elderly, will win. The two million homeless people in our country sleeping out on the sidewalks and under the bridges are not going to win this war. There will be no money available to house them. The tens of millions of Americans who cannot afford health care today are not going to win this war. There will be no money available for their needs. The family farmers in Vermont, who are today being driven off of their land, are not going to win this war, nor will the children or the elderly, who in all probability will see cutbacks in their social security and their Medicare checks in order to fund it. Mr. Speaker, it is incumbent upon us to do everything in our power, now that the war has started, to prevent unnecessary bloodshed and to support our troops in the most basic way by bringing them home alive and well. I urge my fellow members to ask the president to stop the bombing immediately and request that the Secretary General of the United Nations go to Iraq to begin immediate negotiations for the withdrawal of Iraq from Kuwait and the cessation of the war. Let us do everything in our power to stop unnecessary bloodshed. Thank you. The gentleman's time.
0: Such consistency. That was what? Twenty-eight years ago, when we invaded Iraq the first time, um, I I don't have too much to say about that. Uh, other than I'm pretty sure Joe Biden was in Congress at this time. Pretty sure he voted in favor of the Iraq War one and two. He at least voted for number two. So in my mind, there's no there's no question as to who should be the person that leads the quote unquote party of the people that a man who has been fighting for the people tooth and nail even when it wasn't fucking popular even th- when <laughs> even when he's talking to an empty room of people who don't want to hear his anti-war bullshit the independent who's not uh who doesn't adhere to a party line he, ad- he adheres to the working people and to himself his messaging has been so consistent for so long um and then he he brings up the great point people act like you know the, the the problems that this country faces are insurmountable they're so they're so great that there's there's so much complicated things that need to be done to truly address and fix them. And that's n- not true. We spend so much money on the military in an era where we face no threats. And we've we've spent more than the next 10 nations combined for decades and decades for such a long time. And we just keep expanding that budget. Uh, meanwhile, I saw, I don't remember what I saw, but somebody made the point where uh, China... Uh, A nation that has not been in a state of perpetual war for, you know, half a century. They use that money to invest in infrastructure. They've got high-speed rail. They've got bridges that aren't fucking crumbling into the goddamn rivers that they cross. So when you don't spend such a huge percentage of your money on useless, more often than not, illegal acts of regime change and straight-up, genocide against impossibly poor people when you instead direct those funds to programs that lift your own country up so that teachers make a living wage so that children in low income neighborhoods have resources to get themselves out of the perpetual cycle of what do they call it the you know the the school to prison pipeline so that every day working people don't have to worry about if they're going to get hurt are going to get sick and go into hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in debt to be taken care of. In the richest country on earth, in a country that considers itself the greatest nation in the history of the world, the fact that we can pay for this Perpetual war machine, but Medicare for all is a pipe dream? That doesn't add up to me. I think the solution to a lot of our problems is pretty fucking simple. End the wars, end the useless spending, get money out of politics, fairly tax the obscenely wealthy leaders of the corporate class, and we're going to see this country turn around fucking quick because a lot of people's day-to-day problems are directly tied to the fact that they don't have quality health care to the fact that they don't know where their next meal is going to come from because they're not guaranteed a living wage we can fix this shit real quick we just need to get the oligarchs out of the fucking way and we need to remove the influence that they have over the people who say they represent us but absolutely fucking do not This story from Politico really jumped out at me. Headline, Trump backers applaud Warren in heart of MAGA country. The liberal firebrand draws nods and even a few cheers on a trip through rural West Virginia. It was a startling spectacle in the heart of Trump country. At least a dozen supporters of the president, some wearing MAGA stickers, nodding their heads, at times even clapping for liberal firebrand Elizabeth Warren. So, <laughs> right off the bat, Politico, you know, I was just talking about the the, the slight little things that these media outlets do. NPR before and now Politico, sometimes the shit's blatant, other times it's little things. A startling spectacle, they say. It is absolutely incomprehensible to the author of this, Alex Thompson, that's the author. Absolutely incomprehensible to Alex Thompson that somebody who voted for Trump in rural West Virginia could clap for Elizabeth Warren. That That is... Ah, bef- I, I know I haven't even gotten into this article yet, but that is such... An intentional lack of understanding of of voters. Yes, there are plenty of people who voted for Trump because he's the kind of guy that calls Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas because they're fucking rabid, psychotic, racist pieces of it. But not all of them, believe it or not. Especially in West Virginia. West Virginia went for Bernie Sanders, even even though with the superdelegates, it didn't. West Virginia loved Bernie Sanders. So it is not shocking whatsoever that rural voters in West Virginia might agree with some of the things that Elizabeth Warren has to say. So let's go on a little bit more. That's, that's really the commentary that I wanted to get in there, but I want to read some more of this story. The sighting alone of a Democratic presidential candidate in this town of fewer than 400 people in a county where more than four in five voters cast their ballot for Trump in 2016 was unusual. Yeah, but what were their votes in the primary? That's what I would like to know. Warren's team was apprehensive about how she'd be received. About 150 people gathered at the Kermit Fire and Rescue Headquarters Station to hear the Massachusetts senator and former Harvard professor talk about what she wants to do to fight the opioid ep- epidemic. Trump-supporting college students in baggy T-shirts, housewives and pearls, and fire chi- and the fire chief, and the fire chief dressed in uniform, join liberal retirees wearing rainbow persist shirts and teachers with six-figure student loan debt. You know what all of those people have in common, just despite the way that they look or despite what uh, the media narrative might tell you, is they all have been fucked over by this failed capitalist system. Kermit, <laughs> Kermit, I would love to live in a town called Kermit. Kermit uh, is one of the epicenters of the opioid addiction epidemic. Maybe I wouldn't want to live there. Uh, <laughs> the toll is visible. The community center is shuttered. Fire trucks are decades old. When Warren asked people at the beginning of the event to raise their hands if they knew somebody who's been, quote, caught in the grips of addiction, most hands went up. There's something else they all have in common. That's weird how all of these human beings in a community uh, have something in common, uh, that isn't tied to a cult of personality. Wow, just I mean, it's just that su- It's just that subtle bullshit that th- that that Politico's pulling right here. Just like, can you believe these dipshits and these people who don't seem the same at all all clapped for Elizabeth Warren? Yeah, it's it's almost like people aren't looking for some centrist bullshit, but actually want solutions to the problems that they have, and they don't care what letters next to their name. Most hands went up when asked about the addiction. That's why I'm here today, she said. Warren entered the room from behind a large American flag, draped it in the station. Roving around a circle of people seated in fold-out chairs, she tried to strike a tone, equal parts empathy and fury, while avoiding pity. Smart. She went full prairie populace. <laughs> is that a phrase? Is that a is that a phrase, or did this person make that up? Because I respect it. I know, well, she's not from Massachusetts, she just represents Massachusetts. Prairie populace. What a fun phrase. Telling people their pain and suffering was caused by predatory pharmaceutical barons. Fuck yeah, Elizabeth Warren. It is their fault. 99.9% of the problems this country faces is the fault of greedy capitalists. The 63-year-old fire chief, Wilburn Tommy Priest warned Warren and her team beforehand that the area was, quote, Trump country and to not necessarily expect a friendly reception. But he also told her that the town would welcome anyone of any party who wanted to address the opioid crisis. Priest was the first responder to a reported overdose two years ago, only to discover that the victim was his younger brother Timmy, who died. Oof, that is brutal. Priest said that after the event that he voted for oh, priest said after the event that he voted for Trump and that the president has revitalized the area economically, but he gave Warren props for showing up. She done good, he said. Others agreed. I he said that the president revitalized the area economically. I, I, I would I would be interested to see what he means by that. Or if he means, oh, my paycheck was a little bit bigger because my taxes are different. Um, but next year it's gonna seem fucked. Anyways, I don't know. Leanne Blankenship, a 38-year-old coach and supervisor at a home visitation company who grew up in Kermit and wore a sharp pink suit, said she may now support Warren in 2020 after voting for Trump in 2016. Look at that shit. Democrats, look at that shit. If you want to win over people who you think are so far gone on the right, but you think you need a, a centrist, somebody who is going to perpetuate the status quo, you're sorely fucking mistaken. I have my problems with Warren. She's not far enough left for my liking. But she has some really great ideas, and the fact that these people who voted for Trump say they want to vote for Warren in 2020 should speak volumes to the Democratic leadership. It won't, but it should. She's a good old country girl like anyone else, she said of Warren, who grew up in Oklahoma. She earned where she is. It wasn't given to her. I respect that. But Warren didn't come to rural West Virginia primarily in search of votes. The tiny state likely won't decide the nomination and is all but certain to back Trump in the general election. That's bullshit. Why is that all but certain? I don't I I do not buy that for one second. They keep electing Joe Manchin who is a Republican, he's a Democrat, but he's a Republican. But if they keep put sending him back to Congress, they would absolutely elect an Elizabeth Warren, a Tulsi Gabbard, a Bernie Sanders, all but certain to back Trump in the general. I, I, I don't buy that for one second. I think West Virginia would go for Bernie Sanders. I think West Virginia would go for Elizabeth Warren. But what the fuck do I know? I'm just an asshole sitting on his patio in an apartment complex. Instead, Warren was here to try and send a message that she's serious about tackling the problems of remote communities like this one. The opioid war is a medical problem rather than a behavioral or law enforcement one, Warren argued. Her plan is modeled on the government's response to the 19 response in 1990 to the HIV AIDS crisis, as she explained in a Medium post earlier this week. This is a quote. But we got a second problem in this country, and it's greed, she said. People didn't get addicted all on their own. They got a lot of corporate help. They got a lot of help from corporations that made big money off of people getting addicted and keeping them addicted. Damn, Elizabeth Warren's pulling out all the damn stuff. I really, I really appreciate this. I, I haven't read this whole article yet. Most of the time, I don't. I, I kind of like having like a live response to some of the shit. Kermit was a sus. Uh, shit. Kermit was a subject of a Pulitzer Prize-winning series in 2016 that found drug wholesalers provided a single farm provided a single pharmacy in the 392-person town with nine million hydrocodon pills over just two years that is breathtaking holy shit those people should be put away for life meanwhile kids who were found with marijuana in their pocket spend decades behind bars warren's plan would dole out 100 billion dollars over the next decade to states cities and nonprofits with extra money going to cities and counties with the highest levels of overdoses quote right here in mingo county people are on the front lines of this opioid epidemic and this is a way to draw attention to the urgency of the moment she told reporters after the town hall warren's four-stop tour friday and saturday took her from the small towns of kermit and chillicothe ohio to columbus and cincinnati what the fuck she was in cincinnati what the fuck I'm on her goddamn mailing list. I follow her on Twitter. How did I not know? That's annoying. The latter's narcotics problem is so bad that the local paper assigned a reporter to the heroin beat. Also Cincinnati? Jesus. You know I act woke, but I'm clearly asleep at the fucking wheel. (laughs) Warren's approach to the opioid crisis, which calls for treating victims and punishing perpetrators, largely mirrors a response to the financial crisis when she called for jailing bankers and providing mass assistance for homeowners. Do I want to read the rest of this? I mean, the, the point that I wanted to make, I think I made. I really like what she's saying here about the opioid crisis. A Republican protest, or quote, Trump supporter rally, was organized a few hundred yards away from Warren's event in Kermit, but inside the fire station was remarkably devoid of partisanship even if the topic was political. Asked late Friday what stuck with her from the visit, Warren said it was the moment when she asked who had been personally affected by the opioid crisis, and almost everyone's hand went up. I was in the town where the pain of that decision by the government to not interfere was felt hard, she said. As Warren posed for selfies after the town hall, several people pressed notes into her hand that she read later in her car. Here's one of the notes. Help out our town of Kermit, West Virginia, any way you can to help us be able to reduce the drug abuse read one letter. A lot of people told me you're in the reddest of red here, Warren said, but I like being here. That that sticks with me. I was in the town where the pain of that decision by the government to not interfere was felt hard. It is, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's part of the Republican agenda that the government should never interfere in literally anything unless we're talking about a woman's womb or a Foreign country that's got oil that has oil but is not on the petrodollar and won't give us access everywhere else. The government should never interfere, and I think this right here is the perfect example of why that is pure bullshit. The government didn't interfere, so uh, capitalism took over, they took the wheel, and they uh, they devastated a small community. Many, I mean, this is just one of many, but two. Mi- 2 million? 9 million hydrocodon pills to a town with a population of 392. I can't think of a stronger case for government regulation than that. Hey, here's something about Bernie that's not specifically about the election, so let's get into it. This is from Business Insider. The vast majority of Republicans support AOC and Bernie Sanders' plan. To cap credit card interest rates at 15%. And this is from ultra lefty business insider. So you know it's propaganda against real hardworking right-wing Americans. Uh, here we go. The vast majority of both Republicans and Democrats, the vast majority of both Republicans and Democrats who said they plan to vote in the 2020 presidential primaries support legislation rolled out last week by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Bernie Sanders that would cap credit card interest rates at 15 percent. Nearly 70 percent of Republican primary voters and 73 percent of Democratic primary voters said they either supported or strongly supported the proposal to cap rates at 15 percent, according to a new insider poll. Over 60 percent of respondents said they don't plan to vote in the 2020 presidential primaries, also said they supported the bill known as the Lone Shark Prevention Act. Only 13 percent of GOP primary voters said they oppose the idea, while 7 percent of Democratic primary voters said they opposed it. Insider specifically asked Americans whether they support or oppose a law that would cap credit card interest rates at 15%, noting that the current median interest rate for credit card is 21.36%. Overall, about 68% of respondents said they either supported or strongly supported the plan, and 10% said they supported it. Support for the cap was consistent across income levels, but higher income respondents appeared to support the proposal more strongly than the average respondent. Though the sample size was too small to draw any specific conclusions. So to anybody who says that uh, Bernie Sanders and AOC are too far left, I say, are they? Or do they represent the desires of most people? But the media, particularly the furth- you know, the majority of the media, but more specifically the far right, says AOC is out of her goddamn mind. Bernie Sanders is crazy. They're lefty loonies. I'd say they're closer to the center than literally anybody else, and it is great seeing these uh, these two finally pairing up. You know, we've been waiting what four or five months since AOC got in office. Finally seeing her, uh, you know, doing a tag team with uh, with Bernie, and what in one of the videos she was calling him T O Bernie, uh, Uncle Bernie, which I thought was adorable. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna gush over AOC, but I thought it was cute, <laughs> uh, because I mean, he people are speculating. Oh, is she gonna? Is she gonna endorse him for president? No, she already gets enough fucking heat about everything. She's not gonna throw herself into that fire, and I don't think she should have to. Maybe closer to the actual election. Maybe once we're getting close to Iowa, she should. Here I am talking about the goddamn election again. Fuck. <laughs> ah. Do I hate it or do I love it? I must love to hate it or hate to love it. Is there a difference? Yes. In in the order in which I said it. But uh, I mean, yeah, he's he's a big reason that she is that she's even in Congress. She she volunteered for his 2016 campaign, and that's where she got discovered uh, by the Justice Democrats and got encouraged to to run and you know, here we are now. So, um, of course she's going to endorse him. Are you kidding? Anyways. All right. We're just going to change the name of this podcast to just the unofficial, uh, Bernie Sanders fan cast, because that's 90% of what I talk about the, the upper 90% of 1% of what I talk about is Bernie Sanders. Uh, so this is something I noticed from just being on his mailing lists and uh, it, it really impressed me. And then, uh, Huffington post ran a story about it last week. So the, the, you know, let's just read this. Bernie Sanders uses campaign data to drive turnout on strike picket lines. Typically, unions rally for a candidate, but using targeted texts and emails, the Sanders campaign rallied for unions. And he's been doing this, and I think that's fucking badass. I'm I'm signed up for a lot of these uh these candidates' email lists and it's all it's just a lot of the same bullshit. Just give me money, give me money, give me money. And I'm I, I a lot of Bernie's is that too? They they got to they got to raise money and there must there must be some success rate to them I, I get it I'm in marketing the more emails you send the more likely you get people to respond to it whatever but um, as far as I know Bernie Sanders is the only campaign that is using those same lists both text and email lists to get people organized in the streets for pickets and protests um and that is. Uh, that is going to be a huge thing moving forward. And again, he's the only candidate that I have heard spoke on that, uh, who I've heard speak on that, saying we need to build a movement because I can't do this alone. I can become president, but there there's going to be forces from literally only the right wing trying to pull me that way and trying to obstruct me that way. What we need to build is a left wing, strong movement. That is going to force me and force my colleagues to go left and to listen to your demands and try to address them as best we can. So here we go. Thousands of workers from the University of California waged a one-day strike Thursday and found some unexpected allies out in their picket lines. In an unusual move for a presidential candidate, the campaign of Senator Bernie Sanders, independent from Vermont, sent out targeted text messages and emails to its supporters in California a day ahead of the strike, urging them to join workers as they rallied against the university system in a labor dispute. Quote, tens of thousands of workers in the University of California system are standing up on standing up this Thursday to stop the outsourcing and privatization of union jobs the email said we are hoping you can join these workers tomorrow the note included an RSVP link and an address for a local for a local picket the move apparently worked according to John De Los an- De Los Angeles a spokesperson for the American Federation of State County and Municipal Employees local 3299 What a mouthful. One of the unions involved in the strike. Quote, I have deployed a press team across the state and was in contact with them, De Los Angeles said. They were sending me pictures of random supporters out on the line because they had received an email or text from the Bernie campaign. That happened all over the place. It's not uncommon for a presidential candidate to get out on a picket line to show support for workers. Julian Castro, another Democratic presidential hopeful, rallied with the California workers on Thursday. And when grocery store employees went on strike in New England, several candidates either visited pickets or gave speeches to the crowds. But it's far more novel to use a campaign's infrastructure in an effort to help workers in a dispute with their boss. Fervent Sanders supporters point to this type of maneuver when they claim they are trying to build a movement, not just a candidacy. Hell yeah, we are. It's not unlike what another Democratic presidential candidate, Senator Kamala Harris of California, did earlier this week when her campaign sent out email blasts to supporters and raised $160,000 for abortion rights after Alabama passed legislation aimed at effectively barring the practice. So kudos to Kamala for that. The Sanders campaign's collaboration with California strikers was apparently weeks in the making. The candidate delivered a speech to some of the workers during an earlier one day strike in March. The campaign told representatives from the union to keep in touch and let them know if they could help further. The Sanders campaign then recruited 12 college student leaders who relayed information from union organizers to Sanders supporters on their campuses. They also sent texts to supporters in their database who live near planned picket lines. Although it's impossible to say what impact the outreach had, the Sanders Campaigns has a thousand people responded with interest or committed to go to a protest. The one-day strike took place at ten college campuses and five hospital centers across the state. The strikers included custodians and food service workers as well as a range of hospital employees. The workers are represented by AFSCME and the University Professional and Technical Employees CWA. AFSCME filed three unfair labor practice charges with the state on Thursday. The union claims the university violated its contract by not bargaining with them as it seeks to establish a new rehab center with a non-union firm, Kindred Healthcare. The union also alleges the university is trying to outsource work to another firm. Aya Healthcare, and three medical centers in an effort to pay lower wages. A university spokesperson told media outlets Thursday that the union's real reason for continual strike activity is to gain leverage in negotiations, at which they have failed time and time again. Wow. Sanders has never been shy about criticizing employers embroiled in labor disputes. He recently blasted Delta for its anti-union campaign aimed at scuttling and organizing drive by ramp agents and flight attendants. And at his sp- UCLA speech in March, he took aim at the university system. Quote, the University of California must not be a corporate type employer, Sanders told the crowd. The University of California must be a model employer. So hell yeah, Bernie, getting people out. To support unions, to support strikes, to support protests—that's huge. Because as this article states, plenty of uh, plenty of candidates will get get out there and uh, make a show of it, but very much less frequently will they use their resources to help perpetuate a movement. Because that is that is the thing that sets Bernie Sanders apart from any other candidate that I've ever witnessed—is that he wants to build a movement. And it is so unfortunate that he created such a blockade in 2016 by conceding and by saying, hey, you guys got to vote for Hillary Clinton, when instead he could have utilized his moment because she fucking lost anyways, even though he went out and was given speeches for her six, six times a day from the day he lost to the day the election happened. But, you know... I think he lost a lot of momentum and a lot of these organizations have popped up and there's a lot of infighting that might not be happening if he had broken with the party, started a mass movement. Um, but you know, I think he's still in a, I think he's still in a good place. I think, uh, I think he's still way out ahead of the rest of these fucking campaigns. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see more of this from Bernie and I'm excited to, to find out how, how more, uh, how more left wing organizations can can unite around this movement and really start start shifting this discussion uh, toward the people and away from the corporations. Let's go to Louisiana. This is from The Hill. Democratic Louisiana governor prepared to sign fetal heartbeat ban. Oh, blue, no matter who. You have to vote for whatever Democrat is put in front of you because otherwise they're going to take away women's right to choose. Well, guess what? The Democratic governor of Louisiana is about to take away women's reproductive rights. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards, Democrat, is reportedly prepared to break with the Democratic Party to sign a bill banning abortion after a fetal heartbeat detected if it passes a final vote in the state house. The proposal awaits a final vote before it heads to Edward desk. The legislation would ban abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected, which is around the six-week mark, before any before many women even know they are pregnant. The procedure would be allowed if the pregnant woman's health is in serious risk, but not for pregnancies caused by rape or incest, the AP noted. The Democrat's anti-abortion stance stems from his wife's pregnancy nearly 30 years ago. A doctor discovered their daughter Samantha had spina bifida and encouraged an abortion, but the couple refused. Samantha is now married and works as a school counselor, according to the outlet. In eight years in the legislature, I was a pro-life legislator. 100% with a Louisiana right to life, Edwards said during a Thursday press conference. When I ran for governor, I said I was pro-life, and so that's something that's consistent. Blue, no matter who. So I'm gonna close this out with some uh, with some Mike Gravel fire, huh? Why not? It's fun. It's fun. So this this was from a couple weeks ago. This really stuck out to me. This is a, this is a little bit long. He, he the tweet says Senator Gravel on Pete Buttigieg and LGBTQ rights. Um, and this was in response to something he said before. So the, that that that's probably all the context you need before I go into it. This is from uh, this is directly from the desk of Gravel 2020. I want to apologize to gay voters for implying that they are lining up behind Mayor Pete. The gay electorate make critical and informed decisions. Mayor Buttigieg's candidacy offers gay Americans a historic chance at White House representation. A chance for gay boys and men to see a bit of themselves in the trigger finger behind the rancid American war machine. Don't fall for it. Buttigieg worked, on a gl- Buttigieg worked for a global consulting firm, McKinsey, from 2007 to 2010. The firm's predatory practices were one of the major causes of the Great Recession. During this time, they aggressively pushed OxyContin and collaborated with the Saudi government, which punishes homosexuality with death. Despite appearances, Buttigieg does not represent a break from the past. He is in favor of jailing his fellow veteran and queer sister, Chelsea Manning. He is a proud imperialist and an extoller of racist all-lives-matter rhetoric. I, too, am a veteran. But unlike Buttigieg, my experience made me anti-war, not pro-war. The leading policy of my campaign is, in fact, to end all wars. A Buttigieg presidency unequivocally threatens the well-being of people the world over who are subjected to America's imperialist whims. He supports drone strikes, concealing war crimes, and growing our military-industrial complex. There is simply too much life at stake to entertain the deadly ambitions of this McKinsey cipher. Signed, Mike Goddamn Gravel. I want to read a couple more because that one's from a couple weeks ago. No matter your thoughts on Julian Assange, the latest indictments under the outdated Espionage Act are a disgrace. If you, dis- if you support the indictments out of hate for him, you're giving Trump a weapon to restrict the press. The charges should be dropped and the Espionage Act repealed. Oh damn, they come with the fire on this one. The obsession with electability obscures the fact that Trump didn't beat a normal Democrat. He won only after an incompetent, uninspiring campaign by a widely hated leader. Don't support someone because you theorize they can win. Support them because they support your interest, Joe Biden. He didn't say the Joe Biden part. (laughs) Appeal to the voters you have, not the ones you wish to have. So many Democratic centrists write off legions of voters because they can't cope. They want the votes of the rich and smart, not the proletariat. To them, any desperate soul who voted for Trump in 2016 isn't worth talking to. That really speaks to the tone of that Politico piece about Elizabeth Warren and these fucking idiot West Virginian Trump voters who they they, they they were they were nodding and applauding for Elizabeth What's unbelievable. Last one from Mike Gravel. The Democratic Party's weak need consultant class has bought has brought you nothing but mediocrity and failure. Wars, bank bailouts, a government fully owned by corporations. They have no interest in a government for the people. Don't listen to a word these soulless idiots tell you. So uh hell yeah, Gravel teens. <laughs> because there's our teenagers tweeting for him uh yeah uh his campaign is being run by teenagers i looked further into it since the last episode fully run by these two teenagers uh which is badass uh so power to the gravel teens and power to mike gravel hey thanks for listening i've got no shows coming up i haven't been booking myself i have uh, not been writing i've I've not even been working on this show, so what am I doing with my life? I don't know, but uh, you know, whatever. Please subscribe. Please share this episode with somebody that you think is going to enjoy it. And um, fuck it, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. You know, hit me up on. Uh, I'm on. I'm on Twitter. That's where I'm posting most of my stuff. Um, I'm on Facebook mainly for for organizational reasons, um, both political organizing and comedy organizing. Um, I don't know how you get booked on shit if you're not on Facebook. Uh, I don't think you do, actually. I don't think you do. Um, as much as I want to get the fuck away from Facebook, it's it's an organizing tool that is used. It's it's uh, it's invaluable. So how do we get how do how do we make it better? I don't know, and I don't really care. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Um, please uh, please review the podcast on uh, on iTunes on uh, wherever the hell you're listening. I'm on Stitcher now. I don't know if you use Stitcher. Who uses Stitcher? I fucking don't know. But I'm on there now. I didn't. I thought I didn't know you had to put yourself on there, but I did, and uh, I'm on there now. So. If you like Stitcher, start listening on there because, you know, God knows Spotify's fucking all of us over uh, in terms of artists because they don't they don't give you shit for for what you're putting out there. Not that a podcast is going to get anything anyways, but, you know, what am I saying at this point? I'm, I'm complaining about nothing. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll try to get the next one out faster. OK, send me some things you'd like me to talk about. Um, thanks again for to John Bunyan for uh, for putting pressure on me and telling me that uh, if I'm going to radicalize people all 38 of you. We're 38 strong folks, 38 fans of the pod. No idea who you are. I I know who about five of them are. My worst fear on earth is that, uh, people in my family are listening to this. Jesus Christ. What, 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 what an idea, but, uh, I don't know why I'm terrified. I should want them to be listening because God knows I'm not going to talk about this shit, uh, face to face because I was raised to believe that you don't talk about that kind of stuff. So, uh, Family, if you're listening this far in, hey, thanks for listening. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I go from here. So take care of one another. Namaste.